Praise God. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 1, and then 7 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat, a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said this also to the one who had invited him. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of God for us. So, my kids like to call something called shotgun before they get in the car. Anybody heard of that? Yeah, shotgun. You call shotgun for the kids, it means that they want to get the front seat in the car. And so, it, it, it's been a very trying thing at the house because the minute they know that we're going to go to the car, somebody in the house will yell shotgun so that even the neighbors can hear it, because they want to make sure that they get that front seat. And of course, poor Miguel, who doesn't talk, always gets the back seat. But you know what happens is, we got two cars in the house, and every now and then, we'll decide that we are going in one car. And the person that's called shotgun gets in the front seat and is ready to go. They got their seatbelt on. And mom comes to the door and taps on the glass. And they open the door and mom says, I'm riding in front. And the kids go, but I called shotgun. And mom says, I married your dad so I could be shotgun for my whole life. Get out and get in the back. And then comes the removal of shame of the seatbelt and the walking out, and then having to squeeze into the middle spot in the back because the other two will not move from the windows. <laughs> have you ever rushed to be first only to be moved out of the way and have to take the walk of shame? It happens to us more often than we care to admit. Have you ever been to a wedding? Or have you been to a wedding lately? You see, weddings have gotten too elaborate and too complicated nowadays. We've, we've made it into a whole event, right? 
And the, the reception after the service is a big thing. You know, when people plan a wedding now, they probably spend about 20% of their time planning the actual wedding and about 80% of the time planning the reception. And one of the hardest tasks for the couple is to do the guest list and the seating chart. And some of you know what I'm talking about. They have to decide where people are going to sit in the reception. And some people go as, as far as color coding their chart by families and front quadrant and back quadrant and numbering the chairs. And some people will put the name of the person that's going to sit in whatever spot. And you know, it's a big party and everybody wants to get it right. And we know that Uncle Joe cannot sit next to Aunt Bertha because they're divorced and they fight. And we know who can sit close to who, right? And we have figured all this out. You see, places of honor are established. We set a head table for the couple that just got married and that is the, that is the pinnacle. That's the front. That is the, the number one spot. And the people that get to sit at that front table are usually the, you know, the groom and the, and, the, and the bride and then the parents and the immediate family and sometimes the maid of honor and the best man. You know, those are the only people that get to sit there. And everybody else begins to be placed after that. You know, immediately after that, you get, you get family and extremely close friends. You know, those that grew up with you in high school and have known you forever and your family members, and then after those tables, you get all of those business acquaintances of your parents. You know, the co-workers of your parents that you've maybe seen at Christmas parties once a year, or the people that maybe uh, your parents wanted to invite, which are not really close to you, but they gotta be invited. And then as you get further out, you get to the tables near the bathroom doors, and the tables near the kitchen door. And you get to sit the X's in those tables. And the people that you really didn't want to invite, but you ended up inviting because your parents said you had to be nice and let them come. But you know what happens when the actual event takes place? There's always somebody who arrives early and thinks they're going to be clever and grab a seat up front. And they think, hey, you know, I'm just going to sit on this edge over here near the front. Nobody will notice. And they grab those places of honor near the front. And then everybody else comes in and fills up the room. And what happens is somebody eventually notices that you are not supposed to be in that seat. And they come to you and they let you know that you need to move. And that is what we call the walk of shame. Because everybody else is already seated. So guess what? You just move to the table next to the bathroom doors or the kitchen door. You just got moved in front of everybody else because everybody else got to sit down. And that moment is very embarrassing. And I've seen it happen at receptions all the time. So when you think that a lot hasn't changed since Jesus' time in terms of seating guests at a place of honor, it, the reality is we still do the same things. We still try to strive for the first spot. We still want to be recognized and honored when we come to events. We still want people to see us. 
You see, Jesus enjoyed eating with people all the time. You know, John the Baptist had disciples, and they weren't as lucky because they got to eat honey and locusts. But Jesus' disciples, he got to eat with Pharisees and, and tax collectors, which had money and could set up a good table. And his disciples got to eat all the time. So this was not the first time that Jesus got invited to a banquet. But there was something that you just couldn't stand about them. And it was the fact that he saw this kind of honor and shame system going on as people came in to sit down. He noticed that people that were coming in would try, try to get to the front and sit near the head of the table. And as people came in, they filled in the chairs one after the other. And so if you came in and chair number three was open and chair number four was open and chair number five was open, guess what? You didn't try four or five. You darted for three. And you got in there, got nice and comfortable, made sure it was your chair. You know, you say we don't do that now, but how many of us have left something in a chair to reserve it? Ah, we've done that. We do that all the time, don't we? We reserve spots because it's important where we sit. It says something about us, or at least we think it does. And Jesus didn't like this. He would have frowned on the people that went to banquets only to be seen and recognized. You know, if he went to a wedding today, he'd probably frown on that realtor passing out business cards at the reception. He'd probably frown on the politician trying to gain a few more votes for the next election. He'd even frown upon those that went there to find a new date. And that was their goal of being at the reception. You see, he wasn't about those things. And he knew that in his time, people threw these banquets and invited influential people, rich people, people in their family, so that they could show off and be recognized, and hopefully down the road when the other person had a banquet, they could get an invite. Now we think that this is far from our circumstance, but how many of us have invited a friend out for lunch or dinner at some point? We all have, right? And if you invited your friend out for lunch or dinner and you took them to a nice steakhouse, and they invited you back out the next month and took you to chicken. You'd be a little bit upset. You'd be like, wait, wait, wait. I took you to steak, and you took me to chicken? You see, we react that way sometimes. We see things in that way. We start equating, I did for you, so you do for me. And this is what was happening in that banquet. As people were coming in, Jesus noticed that they were only there for their own selfish reasons. Now, they didn't have place cards with names on the table like they do at some weddings. But you better believe that there was a social order that was implied. That there were some people that knew that you don't sit in this portion of the table because you're not, quote unquote, important enough. And so, he saw them come in and sit down, and he gave the advice to them. Don't look to sit in the places of honor, because those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
Instead of doing that, go to the lowest place on the table and then let your host move you up when the, when the activity begins. And I, I thought about that and I thought, well, if you think about it, you really can't go wrong. If you go to the lowest spot, you can't go any lower except being asked to leave. So if you go to the lowest spot and you humble yourself by doing that, you can't go wrong. I've seen it at weddings where people don't do that and they try to move up, like I said. I once witnessed a wedding reception where somebody literally took their name and switched it out for another person's name. And you know what happened? They weren't very smart because they switched it for the grandmother of the bride. And they got caught. And you want to talk about a walk of shame when they got switched. See, the bride had a paper with everybody's name on it, and she immediately knew that they had switched the name. But we still try to do that. We still try to look for the places of honor. I've also witnessed some of those grandmothers at weddings that come in and very humbly just find a spot towards the back of the room, not wanting to be pretentious or think that they're that important, just a spot to sit, only to have the bride or the groom come over and say, no, Nana, you come up here, you get to sit. You get to sit with us near the front. And they get escorted in the walk of honor up the room. Jesus was telling us that we need to learn to be humble and that when we do, we will be exalted. Well, as if this wasn't enough, Jesus also has some unrequested advice for his host. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus got invited to lunch parties and dinner parties and banquets. And he often did things in those parties that upset those who had invited him. In this particular scripture, he had been invited by a Pharisee on a Sabbath day to a banquet. And in the gathering, Jesus had just healed a man with dropsy. And then he had asked all of the guests if they thought it was a good thing to heal on the Sabbath. And of course, they all were quiet because they didn't want to upset the whole party. But you know, they were already upset with him because he had done that. And then he goes to give advice to the one who invited him to the party. And listen to what he says to him, because when you hear this advice, you're like, okay. He says, when you hold a banquet... Invite the poor, invite the lame, invite the sick, invite the blind. Don't invite your family and your friends or the rich. Now, if we applied those rules to all of our invitations for meals, we would be eating alone a lot, wouldn't we? Because who do we invite to eat? Our family, our friends. And co-workers are people that we know. And so if we applied that, we would be eating alone a lot. But he says, don't invite these people. Invite those who cannot do anything to repay you for your kindness. Invite those 
who cannot do anything to benefit you, invite those who you don't expect an invitation from in return. I don't think Jesus was so worried about the guest list as we are. I think he was really trying to get at the reason the guest list exists in the first place. Why do we do a guest list? And it's because we are thinking about what those who are going to be guests are going to bring to the party. And so what he was saying was, when you throw one of these banquets, don't do it looking at what can benefit you, but look at what you can give and provide for them. Now, before you say that this doesn't happen today, I got to tell you, it happens all the time. It happens whenever we get together to eat. We eat with the people we are familiar with. We eat with the people that are family or close friends. But we seldom eat with somebody who is not in that circle. It's hard for us to break out from that. We are creatures of habit, right? Look at us going down on Wednesday night. We all sit in the same tables, same groups. It's, it's every week. And we do that also outside. We do that in our work life. We do that in our family life. We do that everywhere we go. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, so what does this scripture do for us when we look at what we do when we eat together? What is the motivation for us to sit with somebody at the table and share a meal? Is it fellowship? Is it about what I'm going to get out of it? Or is it really to be a blessing to others that are there around the table? Because if we expect everybody to repay our kindness, then it's not really kindness at all. It's self-centeredness and it's self-serving. Some of you listen to the fish, and they have this great idea for doing acts of kindness. They call it the drive-through difference. Any of you heard of that? It's really a cool idea. They say on Mondays, if you're in a drive-through, pay for the person behind you in the drive-through, whatever they've ordered. And if, if, if you can, leave a little note letting them know that, that this was an act of kindness done for them to bless them and drive off. Now you do this, and it's not so that you can wait for them so when they get out of the drive-thru, you can take a selfie with them and show how good you were that week. It's not so you can boast about doing an act of kindness. It's so that that person in the line can actually experience an act of random kindness that wasn't earned, that wasn't even sought, that was truly a gift of grace to them. And there's been stories of people sitting in those car lanes and coming up with their bunch of change that they've gathered from everything they had to pay for that morning breakfast and then being told that somebody has already paid for it and having tears stream down their eyes because somebody did something kind for them out of the blue. Sometimes we just need to find a way to touch people's lives in such a way that we don't get any credit for it. 
that we are not the ones receiving any praise or recognition or honor, but that we are simply lifting up the love of Jesus for them and the care of God in their lives. Whenever we do these acts of kindness, we don't do them on our behalf. We do them on God's behalf. We are really trying to be his hands and his feet. We're trying to be his love reaching out to others. Now, I suspect most of us are not going to stop inviting family or friends to dinner or having lunch with those that we know. I don't think I would expect us to do that. And I don't think that is what this scripture is about. However, I do hope that this scripture moves us to consider those who we can bless that can do nothing to repay us. For you see, in our world, tables have a head and an end. They look like a large rectangle stretching all the way down. But I think in the kingdom of God and in the view of Jesus, tables are round. Everybody has the same equal seat at the table, and everybody's welcome to the table of the Lord. I think Jesus wants us to remember that we honor him when we love those that he died for on the cross. And when we show them through our actions that we want them at the table, that we want them to have an equal place in the kingdom of God. Let us be humble and let us continue to bless others in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you because this scripture does call us, O oh Lord, to just continue to look for ways to be humble before you and before others. It reminds us that it is not about ourselves. It is not about what we can obtain or achieve on our own. And it is all about remembering, Lord, that before you we are all equal, that before you we all come as those needing redemption and those needing forgiveness and those needing grace. Help us, Lord, to be a blessing to others. Help us to be humble, even when it's hard. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The altar is always open if you would like prayer this morning. Our prayer team will be glad to pray with you as we worship.